0: Clearly, Jeff and our guest Stephen Constantino know each other from their superintendent days and can relate and empathize with educational leaders in their challenges. Stephen has gone on to write and speak on a topic that has always been paramount but is likely more important now than ever, engaging families. His book, Engage Every Family, Five Simple Strategies, delves into the art and strategy of authentically caring and communicating with families. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Leaders, educators, how are you? I'm Jeff Rose. Welcome to this week's uh, edition of Leader Chat. Now, for from my perspective, uh, throughout the week, from Wednesday to Wednesday, I have the opportunity to prepare, to get ready, to get excited. Often, it's to review or read or reread a particular text, or research who we're going to be interviewing. And so, by the time Wednesday comes. I'm, I'm kind of giddy. I'm excited. And today is no different. Um, we're gonna have a great, great conversation and potentially you've noticed a shift. Our members of the leadership circle here at Cognia, which is superintendents or executive teams, or just leaders who follow our podcast and aren't watching this live or watching even the video but listening to the podcast leader chat, um, they are maybe notice the shift we spend a lot of time focusing on, you know, appropriate and needed content. And then let me tell you how we decide. We actually pay attention to what our leaders are struggling with or they're challenged by or what their opportunities are. Well, recently we have been very intentional about how do we we make a shift? How do we start to push around the corner, kind of this post-COVID era and help leaders look into the horizon a little bit as opposed to just, tread to stay afloat. It is an ongoing challenge. It doesn't mean that it is naturally happening throughout the country, but we believe it should, and therefore we've been pushing on the content. And so while we have had these incredible guests from um Hargraves, Darling Hammond, Fullen, Amanda Ripley, Beverly Daniel Tatum, um, we even opened the show with John Gordon uh, months ago. Um recently, and you probably, maybe you've heard Ken Kay and Susie Boss just recently and Tom Vander Ark, and they're talking to us about how do we now look to the future? Well, today is is probably one of the most relevant pieces of content I can imagine, not just prior to COVID, but actually even more so now. So the, the theme of today is the importance and how to engage every family. And we're talking with an expert, Steve Constantino, um, I know Steve and you'll see that as, as we talk now. Steve is a leader, teacher, speaker, and best-selling author. Dr. Steve Constantino has a long and distinguished career working with the schools, districts, and state levels and is considered actually the nation's or one of the nation's leading authorities in the area of family and community engagement. Dr. Constantino, I'm probably gonna call him Steve as we chat, um, has this incredible career. as a teacher, he moved through the ranks, He's been an award-winning principal and a district superintendent, which is where our paths crossed, and now he just continues to accept numerous invitations to speak and consult with schools, districts, and business organizations, really not just in the U.S., but around the world. Um, You will see why this topic is really, really important. I'm going to be talking specifically and kind of peppering him with questions on uh, this, this book, and if you... You haven't read it i highly recommend you do engage every family five simple principles because it is um it's it's wonderfully dense because it's not just um it, it's not just the importance of engaging families but it's like this kind of you know how to it's it's this guide. okay so without further ado i'll stop talking and i'll get off my soapbox let, let me introduce steve uh i'm thrilled to have steve thanks so much for being with us today and i know i just touched on your bio so What did I miss? How have you been? I was complimenting you on your beautiful beard. It's great to see you. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, just, just how have you been? What's going on?
1: Uh, well, first of all, thank you, Jeff. What a, what a pleasure and an honor it is to uh, be here. And as I listened to all of your previous guests, I, my first reaction was, my gosh, what am I doing here? But, uh, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, life is good. Uh, I, um, was, as you know, you, 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 were pretty thorough uh, up through the superintendency. Uh, I then went on to the state level as chief academic officer and then had a very short tenure as the state superintendent in Virginia. Uh, and then I really turned my attention for the first time in my career, full time, to my passion of this family and community engagement thing. Um, I was very lucky to accept a position at the College of William & Mary at the School of Education as Executive Professor in Leadership. And now I'm really just immersed in things I love to do. And uh, uh, I feel I feel very lucky and very blessed to be able to continue to do this work and very happy that there is a significant amount of interest in it.
0: So you and I met each other when we were both in the superintendent's seat, right? Mm-hmm. Um and isn't it, isn't it wild to think back and reflect on that work, but maybe even more challenging to consider what it must be like now. And I live vicariously through our members and you are very engaged with you know, district and uh, system leaders throughout the country and beyond. How would you compare what you and I used to navigate and be challenged with compared to now?
1: I don't know that I can even begin to make it. I don't think there is a comparison. Um, I can't, it, I struggle to empathize. I can't sympathize because I never have experienced, you know, I was out of the superintendency by the time this happened. And I can remember, you know, as you having good days and stressful days, nothing, nothing like this, a constant drip of an issue the changing landscape, the changing forces, the opinions, the politization the of it. I, I speak to superintendents all the time, work with schools around the district, and um, I don't know that I can make an adequate comparison. I don't know that there is one.
0: So it's funny you say that. The one thing I tell superintendents and members is that I know I've led through some tough stuff, but nothing. Like this, I I don't even Monday morning quarterback anymore. It's not appropriate because my mind
1: was, uh, um, my biggest problem was when I made a bad snow day call. You know, I mean, I I, I would get, you know, 30 or 40 emails that started out with, Are you a moron? Uh, And I thought that was a bad day. (laughs)
0: You know, know, it's funny. I I did once um, uh, an interview. With the superintendent, um, an, an incredible superintendent Brian Hightower, actually here in Georgia, and this was like three months into COVID, so early on, and we actually called it "Snow Day on Steroids," um, and that was three months in. Right? Imagine what has transpired since then. It's just, uh, it's, 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 it's fascinating and challenging, and I'm, I'm glad that you see it the same way, which is um let's just kind of praise them and honor them for the challenges that we don't get
1: absolutely i i have the most profound respect for everyone um everyone who is hanging in there trying to work through something that no one of us could have ever imagined uh, would happen and uh, i hear the angst in voices i hear exhaustion in voices but I still see that spark of we're gonna get this done. I still I still am very much encouraged by, even though exhausted and beaten down, uh, the comments I'm getting are as, we have to move forward and we will. And that to me is extremely inspiring.
0: Well, and in some ways the the nice opportunity for us is how we can support them in that, right? We, we have the benefit, uh, you and I both, of figuring out the most strategic and supportive way to come alongside leaders and um, help them feel like they have a support. Because of that exhaustion, because of the fact that every political piece of turmoil is landing in their laps, right? That mm-hmm. that is kind of our roles now. And um, you know, I, I, I guess we're blessed because of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's helped me to, you know, when when all of this first started and we were all reimagining what we were going to do. Uh, one of the things, one of the ideas that went through my mind was to make sure that whatever, whatever I could offer, was going to have to be first of all high quality, streamlined, because I was very concerned. I never wanted to be in a position ever, especially now, of wasting educators' time. And it actually helped me to focus. It helped me to to get a laser focus on what what can I do that would be beneficial. To helping organizations continue to grow and evolve through a very difficult period.
0: Okay, so let me—I I need to do a better job. Let me do my job, and, and let me let me focus here uh, too on some of what you've um, you've become, um, kind of this 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 expert on. And you know, in this book, engage every family. There's there's you you mentioned early the the concept of marketing, and I, and I love that you did this because I actually think that, you know, schools have often had a narrative problem. I mean, going back to our day, we had sometimes a narrative problem not describing accurately some of the beauty that actually occurs in schools. Some of the things that we do extremely well, we're just constantly fighting uh, what is this narrative about public education at times. But you mentioned how important marketing is in terms of making sure that, you know, we're, we're, describing what schools do. Can, can you talk to us about that concept, especially in this current environment?
1: Yeah, you know, it started many, many years ago. Um, and I write about this in the, you know, the book is full of my own crazy stories. And um, when I was first teaching, and I barely remember it, I think it was the late 1800s, but I was a first, or sec- first year teacher. And the superintendent's office, I was a very small district, and the superintendent's office was in the building. And he would walk by every day and say hello every day. And about once a week, he'd stop in to have a longer chat. And at the end of that conversation, he always said the same thing, because I was a band director, and I had an elective class, meaning students could take my class or drop my class anytime they wanted to. And every, about once a week, he would say, remember, Mr. Constantino, customers make paydays possible. And that stuck with me from that very first year all the way through In our workshops right now, I will pose a question, kind of as a teaser question, uh, an anticipatory set, if you will, when I ask my my colleagues in the room, if every family in your school district tomorrow had an absolute real choice as to where and how their child would be educated, would they choose you? And whether your answer is yes or no, the follow-up question is why? And I ask that question only to get thinking about, and I, the term that you use is the one that I use all the time, is controlling the narrative. We tend we tend to be, and I do understand this, and I, I please don't uh, misconstrue my marks as critical, but we tend to be reactive, mm-hmm. uh, because there's a lot of stuff being thrown at us, especially now. But when we can control the narrative, and I have found that Doing so through the voice of families, connecting families and making them a true partner enhances about every aspect of what we're trying to do to uh, allow the community in which the school resides to to understand, to appreciate, and to most importantly, support. Uh, So marketing has always been a, a big deal for me. And sometimes I, you know, sometimes I get a little pushback, you know, like, well, we don't have time for marketing, or we're not a business. And, you know, my, my thinking on that is, well, we are in competition. Um, You know, the days of public education being the only game in town, I think are pretty much over. And so I think we do have to spend some time looking at how we position ourselves in the
0: marketplace. Well, especially, Steve, thinking, thinking 10 years out, right? I mean, so that was the case. Uh, let's pretend COVID did not happen. Um, I think that would still be the scenario right now. Like, is sure. how, do, how do we describe um, the kind of environment uh, to our families and our community that, that, that we are espousing to be? But in, in the meantime, now post-COVID, I think 10 years out, there are now these ongoing strategies that are occurring right underneath our feet as it relates to educating kids. So I just, I think that concept of controlling the narrative and marketing ourselves to our people that we serve, I, I just think it's more important yeah. now. Now that
1: our, our best voice, you know, I, I knew, a I knew somebody who worked for a large company. I won't mention the company. Um, and we were out one evening and he looked at me and he goes, you know, you educators really drive me crazy. And I said, well, thank you. We, we work on that very, very well. <laughs> and, and he is a marketing guy. He's a marketing guy for a massive company, which you would know if I told you. Um, and he said, you have all of these people that just come in and are there and you have this opportunity to reach hundreds and thousands of people He said, Do you know what we would pay to get that? And it was at that moment when I realized, you know, we have a network that is massive. And the best salespeople uh, for our schools, I believe, are the families and the students that we serve. You know, when families are out in the grocery lines talking about how wonderful their child's school is, as opposed to what went wrong today uh, because of lack of information or a lack of communication uh, that's, you know, in the business world, that's gold, that's absolute gold. And I think it's gold for us too.
0: There, there's a section in the book early on that, um, I didn't know whether to be excited about or even frustrated about because I almost felt like you stole it from me, but I, I know you didn't. Um, it's the, it, it's a section, <laughs> it's a section that says we already tried that. And, um, I compare this to uh, what I describe as the "yeah, yeah, we do that" syndrome. Mm-hmm. That often you can say here's an initiative or an important theme in education, and what we sometimes hear from leaders is, "Yeah, yeah, we do that." But you describe, you take it a little further. It's not about kind of what you do; it's how you embed it into the culture. Um, right. uh, so, can you talk to us about kind of that that section and and the strategies on embedding? Um, efforts into culture yeah we we tend
1: to be and i and i understand this and, and even when i work with folks i try to explain myself we tend to be strategy driven and largely because we are constantly under the gun uh we are held to a higher standard than just about the rest of the world and so, it, you know, with test scores and newspapers and people having opinions about whether your school is good or bad, um, you're constantly on the hunt for a strategy. And, and, and if I had a dollar for everybody who has said to me, you know, just just give me some strategies. And one of the things that I try to go into in detail in the book is, first of all, strategies without process most of the time, either fail or don't last very long, which is why we're very good at starting things and never really finishing them, number one. And that has a culture piece to it as well. But I also think that, I don't think we should be searching for new strategies. I think we ought to look at what we did because a lot of the things that schools tried to do or think they're doing are not bad ideas. I think the the more interesting question is, why didn't we get the results that we wanted and should we go back and rethink or reimagine that idea which was good and see if we can't get a better result um i really do you know because I, I get that all the time and, and i'll even say at the beginning of a of a workshop or beginning of a speech you know if you're here with your notebook to write down the 10 strategies you're going to be sorely disappointed because we really are in the human behavior business. We really are working with what people's beliefs and values. We're working on uh, what inspires um, communication. And really, what is the difference between communication and engagement? Uh, those two terms don't mean the same thing, but they're very often intertwined. Uh, you know, because I, because I put grades on a student information system, and I allow parents a password to get those grades, I've engaged those parents. No, we haven't. We have communicated information to those parents. So I really think when we dig into this when and that's really, I know we'll talk about the five principles, but it lays out a process of family engagement. Um, I'll often say that family engagement is a process, not an event or a series of events, uh, because we often think, well, we'll get more people to come to something, and then we've engaged more people, and my response to that is: if you get more people to come to something, congratulations, you have been successful in getting more people to come to something. I can't tell you uh, f- for sure whether you have engaged anybody.
0: There's um, there's all there are all these stories and examples, right, from f- from your experience. In fact. It was before we even started the show. You talked about the importance of instead of just reading the book, doing the book. Um, and in, in these in in these stories and examples, um, you describe very specifically on how important it is to describe how much we genuinely care about kids, as opposed to just um, you know maybe let us show us uh, show you our data, right? I I call it the Zillow effect, which is yep. I think uh, unfortunate that. You know, people still shop for schools by looking at a particular grade that comes straight out of, you know, data and test scores, which doesn't describe in any way, shape or form the kind of environment for which actually we're putting our children in every day. Um, can, Can you maybe just kind of talk to us about how important in terms of engaging families it is to describe the kind of place that we yearn to create on behalf of our kids?
1: exactly right you know that whole uh, zillow effect is a classic example of someone else controlling the narrative <laughs> yep. uh, and um that's you know that's an issue you know i mean they'll put numbers are numbers and they pull numbers and they look like they look and that when we think about it for many families and we need to we need to really categorize families for this conversation We have we have many families in our schools across the country that are engaged with their children's school. Uh, They they're, you know, they're coming to conferences, they support their children, they work with their teachers, they work with their schools, they support their schools. So I don't want to give any of the listeners the impression that that's not happening. But we have a significant population of disengaged and disenfranchised parents. And and when you read the research on disengaged families, or when you read the research on disengagement, just leave the word families off, one of the major issues is the perception that we either care less about those children or we don't care at all. Now, I use very carefully the word perception because I will tell my friends when I work with them, people think you don't care, but that's not true, is it? and they'll shake their head, no, it's not true. And and one of the lines I use is, you know, of all of the mountains that we have to climb in public education, and I will admit there are some pretty steep mountains, it seems to me that convincing and showing and demonstrating people that you care about their children should be one of the easier mountains to climb, because we do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when I say that, I can see, I can see in people's faces that You know, I've never really thought about that before. You know, we write early on a case study about two neighbors, uh, you know, one is a teacher and one is a parent talking about this issue of caring. Um, It can be that simple uh, to demonstrate caring. and, And we could talk all day long about the things that we do that do demonstrate caring. But we also talk about the processes and systems that perhaps are not focused from on a family perspective and many of the procedures and practices we have in schools can be a deterrent uh, to family engagement one of the toughest messages that i deliver and when i do sometimes i feel as though that i might be i might have to duck is when i suggest that a significant portion and i don't know if i can attach a percentage to that but a significant portion a, d- a proportion of the disengagement problem we have rests with how we do business and if we could change, a shift, rethink and re- and reimagine some of the things that we do, uh, we could see literally instant change and, and instant result. Uh, that's where the culture piece comes in. That's where we need to shift how we think. I often say, um, you know, uh, we are very good at engaging the already engaged. <laughs> <laughs> And and we really need to get better at looking at how can we reconnect with the disengaged. And when we understand the theory and the science behind that, when we understand what disengages people and why, we can then build a system to alleviate those issues.
0: We used to, as an elementary school principal, this is a long time ago, I I remember having a conversation with with our teachers about, You know it's it is it's easy when in the parking lot when we're opening the day uh, a family member will find a space um, be challenged by that and somehow hold their child's hand as they walk through the front door it's easy to engage that parent because they say good morning how are you and good to see you again because they were there the day before 24 hours earlier what about um the the family that you've never met that pulls very quickly in and out of the curb child's gets out of the car, comes, you've never met that parent, and then before that child takes two steps out, that parent's gone, because by the way, maybe they have uh, a busy day at work, whatever that may be. That child is just as important as a child who has walked hand by hand to the front door. But we have to engage that family and parent somehow, some way, because they are just as important, right? Just yeah. because they didn't walk in the front door holding the hand of the child, they're just as important. Um, Maybe just a different strategy is important.
1: Two real quick things that I would love the listeners to think about based on your comment. One, when we, when we juxtapose together those two parents, two things to think about. Of all of, the, of all of the reasons why people are disengaged or become disengaged, we know from research that apathy is rarely, if ever, a reason. There's some research out there to suggest that less than 1% of families in the United States are truly apathetic to their children's education. So when you see those two parents, please remember that both of them care very much. The second thing is that, and we've known this for years, this goes all the way back to a wonderful book written in 1988 called Raising Self-Reliant Children in a Self-Indulgent World. And the authors and the researchers in that book showed that one commonality amongst every family, regardless of their level of engagement, their ethnicity, their socioeconomic status, the one commonality is that every parent desires that their child exceed them in their quality of life. If, if, you, if we can remember those two things when we are looking at trying to reconnect and reestablish relationships, uh, it, it, it makes a huge difference in, in not only how the school is perceived, but ultimately the reason for all of this is to support better academic growth for every child.
0: Indeed. Okay, so let, let, let's get into these principles, the five principles. Um, I forgot them. You, you did? Well, uh, I'll remind you uh, if you have a hard time. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm fresh uh, for, for, for reading this book. Um, and so how, how about you just maybe give us the know the elevator pitch on what they are and then i've got some questions about them so just walk us through the five briefly and then i'll kind of dig a little bit uh after that
1: yeah the the five principles are based on about 60 years of research that has talked about you know engaging families the importance of engaging families and when i you know i see my role i'm not a i am not a white coat researcher. Uh, and i make that very clear to everyone I, you know there are people who have done extensive research in family engagement and my hat is off to them i have always come to this from the practitioner's lens lens how do i how do i take this research and make it do something and so the five principles were born out of this desire to help schools to help schools implement systems and processes that would allow this to occur It starts with understanding your present culture. That's why number one is a culture that engages every family. That's our North Star. You know, what do we believe in value about families? What do we assume about families? Are we making assumptions that might be dangerous? Because when we have our culture right, or we're at least thinking about our culture and saying, you know, here's here's some things that we probably could think about you know, what, what do we believe? Does every teacher in the school believe that family engagement is a good thing? Probably not. And so before we can move on to implementing strategy, uh, if, if we have a continuum of people from very supportive to very skeptical, what are we going to do about that? So that's number one. Number two then says, okay, we're working on the culture. We're thinking about what we think. We're looking to shift now we need to look at what two-way communication really means and how are we going to build or build back relationships with families. And that's where the disengagement work comes in, the, uh, the uh, implicit bias discussion that we have in one of the chapters in the book about what's stopping us. Interestingly enough, Jeff, really quickly, Learning Heroes, which uh, has been doing some research during COVID, just posted a very interesting piece of data a couple of weeks ago 74% of teachers and 84% of school leaders admitted that they probably have a bias toward families and are and requested professional development to help work through those biases and create a better atmosphere. I thought that was one of the most powerful pieces of data I've seen in a long time. So we move from communication to relationships, and there's a hierarchy of these ideas. They are not randomized. We set a culture, we work on communication and relationships, If we don't have a culture that values family engagement, then what's the motivation to build a relationship? So it kind of goes clockwise around that circle. Then we get to efficacy. We can't promote the efficacy of a parent with which we do not have a relationship, nor we communicate. So again, now you start to see the the hierarchy of these ideas, efficacy, the power to produce an effect. Can families, understanding that families are the first and most influential teachers of their children, Can we harness that influence and use it to support academic success in school? Then, followed by decision-making, we know from research that families very much want to be engaged with decisions that directly affect their children. Uh, And we see evidence sometimes when that works, and we see some evidence sometimes when that doesn't work so well. And then lastly, engaging the greater community. And and I clarify that in the book by saying this is not about going out and getting business partnerships or, you know, (laughs) community engagement. This really is about how can we effectively use the assets in the community to support the work that we are doing with all of our families and our students. So it's a little bit of a different approach uh, to the normal discussions of, of community engagement. But I I call the five simple principles a logic model because it has it has there are there's a relationship between all five of these principles.
0: When and you look at the five principles, the the first being the north star as you mentioned, and clearly there's a there's a building from one through five. Um, but I'm curious. Over the past couple of years, um, we've hit some really interesting um, hitches, some stumbling blocks in education. Um, that are, you know, no one's, no one's fault really, but has, is there been one of the five that has kind of raised up in terms of, um, priority based upon the districts and schools that you're engaged with? One out of the five that just kind of slapping you across the face right now on, we have to address this or we need help right now. Um, Three of them are slapping me in the face.
1: Yeah, tell us, tell Uh, us. Schools are awakening to this notion of culture and the kind of culture that existed with families prior to COVID. And COVID exposed the fact that we probably need to change some things. And so I get a lot of questions about how do we do that. Communication, of course, is a huge, a huge, I get 25 emails a day about how do we better communicate? What is two-way communication? And then, because children have been isolated and families have, for lack of a better term, become surrogate parents, this whole notion of promoting parental efficacy, uh, how, you know, when, when, at the beginning of the pandemic, when the only live teacher in the room happened to be somebody's parent or relative, um, we realized then that we needed to do a better job of helping families understand what's happening in school today and what's happening in school tomorrow. In my old speeches, you know, I'll, I'll have to change this in a post COVID world. In my old speeches, I used to give the audience Steve Constantino's famous two question test. Uh, I said, I'm going to ask you a question. I'll, I want the entire audience to shout out the answer. And I'll say, Here's the question What did you do in school today? And a thousand people shout out nothing. And I'll say, <laughs> question number two Do you have any homework? And this thousand people shout out no. Well, we have to understand that in many homes, especially disengaged homes, that is the total educational conversation. And so when I talk about efficacy of families, we are thinking thinking about and talking about, can we change those questions? Could we help families understand more about what we do so that they could ask their children's be- their children better questions? Because the minute we do that, guess what? We've raised their level of self-efficacy. Yeah. So I would say that during the pandemic, one, two, and three have been extremely popular.
0: <laughs> you know, what, reading reading the book, um, one that kind of slapped me around a little bit uh, was actually number four in terms of, you know, in uh, the decision making process and engaging families in that. And I'll, I'll tell you why it kind of shook me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm hoping that maybe you should have some comments to help overcome some of the skeptics on this because I, I consider that to be really important right now. Um, also, I consider it to be pretty difficult because of how leaders are so pressed for time and some of their day-to-day stressors that are landing in their laps that they didn't ask for nor sign up for. They're not even connected to their why as to why they're an educator. Um, so for them to think, wait a minute, I'm supposed to engage like these people that are maybe even beating me up every day on decision making for which maybe they don't even understand um, how to make a quality decision in this way for which I'm trained to do. I just can see this potential rub, and yet I consider it so important. So can you maybe give us some advice to those skeptics on describing why it's critical or maybe how they connect families to decisions?
1: Yeah, uh, and let me do this because you've asked a question that could take about two hours to. Yeah, and I
0: understand. I, I like to do that, by the way. I'll give you two yeah, minutes, remember,
1: but uh Yeah, remember <laughs> I said earlier that we know from research that families require to be engaged in decisions that directly affect their children. Now, the very first point I want to make is: Would you engage a family in every decision that you make in the school? Of course not. Uh, there, there are you know leaders make 500 decisions a day. You're not gonna stop and and put a committee together to decide what you're gonna do. But on big decisions, policy decisions, attendance decisions, discipline decisions, grading decisions, those things that that affect students and families directly, I do advocate for a collaborative co-constructed model. I even advocate for a collaborative co-constructed model on district level family engagement policy. But it's important, again, to remind you that we can't just jump to principle number four. Yeah. Because if we do that, we're making an assumption. We're making an assumption that we've got good communication protocols in place, that we have good relationships with all of our families, and that we have raised their level of self-efficacy. Without those things, number four becomes a disaster. Case in point, what's happening now? I was working, uh, well, I won't even go into it because I don't want to identify it, but somebody was lamenting about all of the news about people storming school board meetings and, you know, being dragged out by police and all these horrible things that were going on. And they got to me and they said, well, let's ask our expert. And my first comment was, I don't mean to offend you, but none of what is happening surprises me. And the reason it doesn't surprise me is because what this is a classic case. Now, schools didn't have the control over this. COVID took away control from everybody. But what has happened is that decisions had had to be made quickly and were made and left people out of them. And when that happens, and this is on steroids, you know, what's happened in COVID has also got, a, you know, a, a, a dose of politics and a dose of other things in there with it. That it does. But, peel away all of that the research has been proven again that we we are end up in in some sort of of a conflict of thinking or thought or or opinion because we didn't really dis, didn't really ask or and again i want to be clear we didn't have the opportunity in covid because you know superintendents had 15 minutes to figure out how education was going to continue but in a post-COVID world, I would challenge leaders to begin to think about when can we co-construct decisions? Mm-hmm. How can we co-construct decisions? Because that's all gonna lead to your very first question of, of controlling your own narrative. When people are engaged in a decision and understand it, guess what happens in the supermarket line? Guess what happens on the soccer fields? Guess what happens when all these people are talking to everybody around the community? It can be scary. And the first thing I hear from leaders is, I don't have time to collaborate on every decision. I get it. (laughs) If You're going to change a policy. If you're going to change a grading policy and the first time they hear it is when the school board is thinking about approving it, don't be surprised if 50 people are going to be in line. Let me, another point, I was working with a school board somewhere in the United States and they were very concerned about what was happening now, about public comment going on for hours and hours and hours and hours. And I said, and they, the answer by many school boards is, we're going to limit public comment. You know, or we're going to, you, everybody now has 30 seconds to talk. And when I was consulting with this school board, I said, I would do the opposite.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I would start to have community conversations, maybe even charrettes. I would give people ample opportunity to voice their opinions outside of your board meeting, get them involved in decisions, much like we did, you know, this was very effective, you know, 40, 50 years ago when we were desegregating schools, when communities couldn't come to an agreement on whether a school should be desegregated or not. Community charrettes, community conversations, which sometimes are not easy, but at the end, when you have an answer, you have bilateral support. Yeah. And doing anything differently is going to take us, down the, take us down the wrong road, and it's not going to
0: end well. You know, um, I, asked, I asked this question of, of our guests, and it's, it's, it's a really important one, but it's not easy. So prepare yourself, as I ask. Most of what we do, Steve, in the leadership circle is actually not talking at leaders. It's leaders talking to leaders and them helping one another. Right, they're problem solve. Uh, we look for leaders who are willing to give help and receive it. Um, but let's pretend for a moment that you and I were around a table with leaders, superintendents, assistant superintendents, people responsible for these, you know, um, large systems that support, you know, thousands of kids. What would be your very uh, focused, pragmatic, brass tacks advice for them right now? What would you say to them if they were to say? would just, just give us like some last words of encouragement yeah. or wisdom? What would you say? Most
1: schools in the United States have some good level of family engagement and the, the, the instinctive things that schools think about doing are correct. And so I would encourage leaders to continue thinking about the role that families can play But I also know that with all of these ideas and strategies and things that we're trying to do along the the cost of that is a great deal of energy on the part of the staff, a great deal of of, uh, resource on the part of the staff, time on the part of the staff. And the one question that I always ask my friends is, your instincts about what you want to do are probably right just answered this question what was the return on investment as a result of that event that strategy that policy what happened did it did it have the impact it it was supposed to and just that one question I can't tell you the number of of leaders who have who have leaned back and and said, you know that's interesting you know, uh, all these schools, you know, and again, I, I'm going to hear from the National Math League because I puck on math too much. But, you know, we all have math nights. Mm-hmm. And everybody works their tail off to, you know, for weeks to have this wonderful math night. And there's usually some level of disappointment, either the people who are there, or the people who are engaged, and their kids are doing fine, or the turnout isn't very well, it's very good. And I always ask the question, have as many math nights as you want. Just tell me how they have impacted math success in school, and when you can answer that question, I'll shut up. Until then, I think we need to go back and say why are we doing this, how did we do it, and how might
0: we do it differently in the future? Well, I'm I'm embarrassed to say this, but I'll say it because why not? Um, I've I've been responsible, Steve, for actually uh, supporting Math Night, and guess what? I'm a parent, and I've never been I've never been to one. So uh, I think that says a lot. I don't it either. <laughs> so, um, Steve, it's funny that we were, you know, years ago in the superintendent seat, and to watch what you've done since then um, is truly inspiring. And you are doing the right work right now. Um, I am. I'm such a fan of what you're doing to support what I just think is a critical topic and becoming more and more important and the way that you describe these principles and the importance in which we do it, and the fact that, you know, you're pushing a little bit. I mean, when you start talking about ROI and marketing, and you're pushing schools to start thinking a bit differently to adjust to um, what they're dealing with now, but more importantly, what's to come. Thank you so much for your time, for the content. I know this won't be the last time our paths cross, um, but... We've been fortunate to just be able to steal some moments with you today. So just know that you're appreciated by me and and our our leadership circle, Steve.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's great to talk to you, Jeff, as always. And I look forward to the future.
0: All right. Be well, my friend. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, um, so you see, uh, this topic, um, prioritize it. I know that sometimes you're burdened and you're challenged with these things coming at you from all these different angles for which you can't even see coming. And so by the end of the day, it feels like crisis management. Um, Maybe the way forward is to spend some time and some energy and some of your capacity, not on just managing crisis, but um, how you engage in your narrative and describe actually your why as an organization as well as personally. Um, there, there's, there's no better person to help than with Steve and his book, Engage Every Family. Um, you should, you should read it like I did. Um, and if you can't because of time, hopefully this leader chat helps you. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders, educators, be well.